and welcome to Pod on the Dog, episode nine. I'm Brayton Hardcastle. You can find me at Brayton Hardcastle on Instagram to follow all the latest shenanigans in Dogdom. My guest this week, I first met in Pennsylvania at the Groom Expo. <laughs> he was kindly lending me a dog to compete with. We were sharing a room, and although I was probably about six months pregnant and probably not much fun, he was such a gentleman and really took care of me. He had hair for days back then, and although his hair has dotted a much sleeker and shorter vibe, he's as handsome as ever. Known for his bold look and personality, and reigniting that retro restyle, a big welcome all the way from San Diego to Blake Hernandez. <laughs> hi, yeah, I know it's actually funny uh, that we go back that far, actually. Yeah, I was pregnant with my first child, so. Yeah, that's a that's a minute, and I do remember you were very pregnant, <laughs> but you took that dog and you won, and it was so funny because you said something when we were waiting for awards. You're like, I had just the perfect amount of time. I even like stood him up and got all of his wiggly bits between his, uh, like from his sanitary. And I just remember you describing it that way and thinking it was so, so British and so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. I just remember in um, UK, you can do the face, feet and tail beforehand and you can't do that in America. So I was like, Oh, I'll be fine for time. And then I'm like, well, you've got to do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember who my judge was. Um, do you remember uh, who the judges I were? Then? I want to say we were in the same level. I think you were in, we were in intermediate that year. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Um, but the dog I went to was my little toy poodle that I used to have, Dash. So That's he weighed right. like four pounds. He was tiny. <laughs> he was the smallest thing. And all over, he just had like white dogs of every breed, like Bichon, yeah, Santa Poodle. And that's the first time I met Rapunzel because. You uh, clipped off all her hair after you groomed oh, her. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I um, had my, my Britney Spears 2009 moment. You literally um, sheared her like a sheep. I was like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, I asked you if you wanted to bring a drink to the podcast, but I've just finished grooming. We're straddling the day. So Blake's just got up. I've just finished a day of work. <laughs> so I'm just on water. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to kick things off with what's your earliest dog memory and who was your first dog? So uh, I remember distinctly when my mom was like, we're going to get a chocolate lap. And I like, we had been talking about it only for a few weeks and um, she like did it while I was asleep. So like I, I, I fell asleep to go to bed and when I woke up, there was like a chocolate lab in my room. Um, so that was really awesome. I remember that being my first dog, Coco, we ended up having three labs and my first dog as an adult was a lab. So, um, they are my heart dog. They were what brought me mm -hmm. into all of this. Um, but that worked against me on Pooch Perfect because then they gave me a heart dog, which was a lab. And I, I didn't have much to do on it. Wait, there's um, not much to do, is there? <laughs> yeah, especially in what our version was, which was so creative. And you were supposed to be inspired by your heart dog. And I didn't do creative on my Fiona. So, like, yeah, it was kind of a, sh a shot in the foot moment there. But that was my original dog and my, my heart dog. Um, and I don't come from, like, a show family. They definitely, like did their backyard partnerships and my chocolate lab had babies. Mm. And when they were like three weeks old, I 
took one and I put it in my hoodie and I tried to take it to school. And like immediately the teacher knew and was like, you have to take that baby home. So I was like, I was always very into dogs. Yeah. You've obviously grown up with uh, dogs all around you and, uh, and have it. I think it's always, um, obviously we need to always be conscious breeders, but, uh, having a litter of puppies when you've got kids is just really magical, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and, and I actually like as a professional, I try not to, um, go in on backyard breeders or, or, you know, uh, um, hobby breeders and things like that, because the truth of the matter is, is that if there weren't those people doing that, a lot of the dogs that we groom in our salon wouldn't exist. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that are, uh, responsibly breeding enough to, in America, 6 million dogs were added to households during the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. So like, there aren't that many responsible breeders doing that m- many dogs. It just isn't, sure. it's not really a thing. So they supply our salons. They keep us making money. So, um, yeah, yeah I want the dogs to be healthy and I support reputable breeders, but I'm not going to bash on anyone else doing their thing. No, well, you've obviously had a moment in America like we have here. I feel like every man now has his dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with so many more puppies. And um, and like you say, we see a lot of poodle crosses. I'm sure you see a lot of poodle crosses. For for the groomers over here in the UK, that's our bread and butter, you know. Yeah, yeah, it really is. You've overcome so many obstacles to get to where you are right now. You have a few successful businesses. Uh, you have a great following. And you shows a real serious strength of character in you, Blake. So how do you stay really focused and driven with your work? Um, it's, it's actually just like a compilation of really cliche sounding things. But, uh, I find that when I have hardships that I'm faced with, with other people, businesses or personalities in the, in the industry, I put all my effort into not participating. I don't believe in feeding energy or, uh, condoning that type of behavior with a response. Um, so I really stay in my own lane. I worry about myself. I, I just do what I need to do for me. And that helps me continue to grow and not get stuck in anything that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So, um, that, that's kind of the, the cliche way of saying it, but to be completely honest, uh, I am a huge believer in self-help books, um, mental mindset, money mindset, those types of books I listen to on repeat every single day. Um, it keeps me in a really positive place. It keeps me motivated. It keeps me um, encouraging of myself. Mm-hmm. And I find that I um, am and happiest. And I know we'll kind of get to this, but I, I'm happiest when I'm true to myself. You know, these mm-hmm. little shenanigans that I do, the, the standout retro trims, these things are a reflection of my personality. And that's what makes it makes me happy and keeps me going. Are you a manifester? I am a manifester. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I wrote in that notebook, I will be on Pooch Perfect. I will be on Pooch Perfect. And, you know, we had to deal with COVID too. So I was also like, Mm. I will not get COVID before I go on Pooch. You know, I, and who knows what it actually did, but 
I was on Pooch Perfect, wasn't I? So I manifested. <laughs> You're definitely sending out some positive vibes there. For, but I think if you send out the, that energy into the universe, then good things have got to come back. My my favorite thing at nighttime when I'm trying to go to sleep, you know how you know people say count sheep. My thing is I uh, I practice my gratitude. So I'll lay in bed and just think of all the things I'm grateful for, all the people I'm grateful for, and all the opportunities. But, um, but I'm a bit like you. I tend to keep my head below the parapet. I'm like, <laughs> I do I my thing. I always get sucked in. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to pretend like I don't, but I don't, um, I don't feed it any energy. I just try to stay uh, above it and, and, and move on. I, I know who I am and the people who care about me and followed me and, you know, have met me, they know who I am. And I, and that's all that matters. Exactly. hundred percent. You do you, babe. <laughs> so, <laughs> Pooch Perfect chat you were a contestant on Pooch Perfect USA how did you enjoy the experience uh, it's obviously a given question right now everyone wants to know how your experience was and what have you really taken away from it what have you learned about yourself um, so overall it's a once in a lifetime opportunity and it was so many things that I never expected you know what I mean um, so that was probably the most interesting thing that came out of it was just, it was our first time as groomers being on a set and doing what the TV producers wanted and staying on their, their timeline and in their vision. Um, and then it was also a bunch of producers and camera people who had never dealt with animals and like a grooming show and all, everything that goes into it. Um, what I took away from it is 100% hands down, the relationships I built with my fellow contestants. Yeah, it definitely. is. It is by far the best byproduct of what happened there. Uh, obviously, a lot of the top competitors at least know of each other in some regard. We know their strengths. We know their tendencies. Like we know all these things about each other. But there were two teams that I had never seen, met, or heard of before, and I feel special and honored to have got to build this relationship with them when I never would have. And then there were people in the industry that I liked and got along with from a distance, but to share such an intimate experience with them and grow so close and lean on each other, um, we have become like exceedingly close. I mean, we, at this point, we're already like going on vacations together and stuff. So yeah, uh, that's so we nice. love each other. Yeah. And they were like, the contestants were like that on Pooch Perfect UK. They, um, they, I think you build an unbreakable bond going through such a crazy experience with each other. I don't think, Absolutely. you know, when you sit on the sofa and watch, you don't actually realize the cogs and the, and the wheels going on behind a production like that. Right. I mean, it, it boils down to a 45 minute edit, you know, with commercials. It's like a 45 minute segment and people don't realize that it took, um, roughly 30 hours of filming and there's 10 teams to start with. So like 300 hours of content is getting condensed to 45 mm. minutes. So um, you definitely get like a very specific view of it. Um, anyone who's seen the U S version, which I think you said you haven't caught up on that yet. Um, no, but the U S version, one of our judges comes off as, very very mean <laughs> oh. and, and, and honestly it wasn't like that like he mm. they just like they're not showing him ever say anything nice and then on the contrast they're not showing the other judges say anything mean mm. and like obviously critiques came in all shapes and forms um but it, it got a weird edit to where 
I had to be like, no, like everyone, all my fans, please don't be mad at Jorge. He wasn't actually that mean to me. Um, so it, it, uh, it, it is a crazy experience. And like you said, that's, that's how you instantly bond with them. Day one, I felt bonded to them because mm-hmm. we all spent seven days in a hotel room with our peepholes covered in quarantine so that we wouldn't know what was going on. And you just know that they went through that too. And that we're all like, you know, we went through 10 months of auditioning. Like we were just instantly bonded. Yeah, absolutely. With, um, with obviously this big mutual thing that happened to you all. Now, this is a deep one for you, Blake. What really, truly makes you happy? Um, So I touched on this a little bit, and I think it's just knowing who I am, the things that, like, uh, are inherently me. And I actually think it's pretty easy to find that about yourself. I think we're all kind of the truest version of ourselves when we're children, before Mm. all the... All the oh, yeah. good point. All the judge, all the judgment comes in. All the morphing for a job or a, a a relationship. All these things that you do as an adult, and you lose yourself. Mm. And what people don't realize is that, like the silly skits and parodies, and like really just weird, silly stuff that I'm aware is like not professional all the times and things like that. That is what I have done my entire life. I was seven years old and I would collect all my cousins and I would say, let's go to this room for mother's day. We're doing this performance. Let's learn the choreography. And I would like, come up, <laughs> I would come up with performances and that is just who I am. And I haven't done the silly stuff my whole career. It wasn't until I became good enough for people to respect me as an educator and respect me as a groomer and competitive groomer that I realized I could like kind of let myself back in to my mm-hmm. profession. Yeah. And I can tell you how proud I am of myself that I can so happily be me mm-hmm. and, and have these supporters that still understand that I know my stuff. I can, I can do it too, but I, I like to have fun. And so yeah. Um, that's what makes me happy is just like being really true to myself. That sounds liberating. Like that's amazing. (laughs) Um, And I've always been a neat freak because I'm just thinking you're saying you're your truest self when you're a child. And my first flashback when you just said that was how I used to color coordinate my wardrobe. And I was so excited when my grandma used to come around for Sunday dinner on Sunday because she used to do bedroom inspection. So I used to be able to show how tidy my bedroom was. <laughs> that's deeply disturbed. So maybe that's where my anal <laughs> attention to detail comes with my dogs. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. It's mad. So uh, you're known for bringing back those retro styles on your poodles. Where did you get your inspiration from to do this and really think outside the box? Because, I mean, I'd only seen those things in books. And then all of a sudden you're bringing it back to the grooming table. <laughs> really? I know. So I'm, I, there's actually a very uh, simple <laughs> answer to that. I started competing with a poodle that was supposed to be shown. So she was in a show trim. And I didn't know how to groom show trims. And I was entry level. And I did it anyway, because how else was I going to learn? Clients weren't going to grow into a show trim for me. So I had to learn Mm -hmm. on this dog. And I would do, quite honestly, some of the most ratchet spray ups, you know, (laughs) discombobulated bird's nests on their heads. And it was just because in entry level, 
no one did that. No one did spray ups in entry because like you said, we can't shave uh, faces or tails in, in um, the U S another thing that we can't do or what we used to have to do in the time frame, they've changed it now is we used to have to wiggy and band in the time frame too. Mm. So no one attempted that in an entry. And so when I would compete, I wouldn't be happy with my work, but these regular everyday pet groomers were just like in awe that I even like attempted it. It stood out. It was different. All the other entry level trims were moderns and Germans. And I was doing this continental and I just got used to loving the attention. And so mm-hmm. I move up through the ranks, entry and intermediate, doing those show trims. And then I move to open and I say, okay, like I'm going to switch back to moderns and Germans because that's what goes in open. And, and then I go into uh, to compete with a German and I don't place. And I go in to compete with a modern and I don't place. And I was like, oh, if I'm not going to place, can I at least get all the fun attention and everyone just <laughs> love, love my unique trim? So that's when I started flipping through, you know, pattern books and seeing what really stood out to me. And then I chose the Desi trim because I just thought it was such a lovely trim. And I started competing with it without any knowledge of the history of the trim. Liz Paul and her development. I didn't know any of that when I started competing it. And Mm -hmm. all these like these, you know, elders in our community started like giving me this history. They were like, they were really happy that I was like, kind of bringing it back. Bringing it back. Yeah. Yeah. And so I competed all year with a Desi and I put Desi lines on my freestyle dogs and I placed multiple times. And, um, and then the next year I was like, okay, something else, let's go all the way retro. And I started doing, um, diamond trims, but that you actually shave the neck like an old retro pattern. And, uh, and the very first time I took it out, I placed. And so I really felt like I put in enough work, enough time, enough, in front of the judges for them to be like, okay, he's like found his place and his balance with these types of trims. So yeah, I get, I get best of both worlds. I still play some sometimes and I get all the attention of people loving the unique trims. So every year I change it up and uh, this year we're going to see something new, a Rio Bandera. I can't wait to see, but also I saw recently you competed in a more traditional style that we see nowadays. Was it a T clip? I can't remember. Um, I did a show puppy trim. Yeah. Which I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what you guys call it there, you, but I guess. Well, your show puppy trim is different to ours because, right. yeah, because we obviously. You guys have a first separate. puppy and a second puppy, right? Yeah, that's right. So we sort so of. I, I did a first puppy trim. We have it very much separated, don't we? Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I was borrowing someone else's dog and uh, they were obviously in a show trim and to take them from a show trim to a retro would have probably been traumatizing. So, um, I did the first, the first puppy trim and, um, I went, I went best in show actually. It was my first best in show, but it was also one of the smaller shows that I've ever been to, which is, Hey, like, don't say that. Just take know, it. It's, it's no, great. No, you got no, best in show. And- <laughs> <laughs> I was very happy. I'm not, I'm not, uh, unappreciative of it, but you know, people are going to listen to this and be like, there was only 20 people. You know, I so. get that. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But, you know, congratulations all the same. It's nice, you know, it's nice that you can pick up and do your puppy trim, but also you've got your retro styles. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you're bringing out of the bag for 2021, yeah. 22. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk scissors. I know scissors are so personal to each and every groomer. 
And scissor a big thing for you because I think that you have a scissor club. So on shears, what do you recommend for intricate shaping that you do with your Desi trims, things like that? And what about your bulk chopping out? So do you pick up a pair of shears and trim the whole dog or do you use different shears for different jobs? And, uh, and what do you recommend? So, yes, I am um, one of the uh, creative minds behind Scissor of the Month Club, which is a massive club. Um, we send out different scissors every month. And um, the only reason why it's such an affordable cost is because we order quite literally thousands. Um, and it gives us a price break that we can pass on. And so, yes, I am big on variety. Uh, but I also agree that a dog has to be groomed like almost like three times at least to like make it really pristine. So when I go through the dog the first time, I just have a big pair of straight scissors knocking off hair. Um, you know, then I go over it a second time and I use straights and curves and thinners and chunkers and whatever I need. You know, I use chunkers to reduce bulk. I use thinners to erase lines on finer uh, spaces and then obviously curves to, create shapes and stuff. And then the final time, the third time that I go over the dog, um, mm. I really, I'm, I'm not using those thinners and chunkers anymore. Cause I want to have a real plushy finish. Yeah. Um, so then, then I would go back and basically just fine tune everything with a, with a solid scissor, whether it's straight or curved, but <clears throat> it is important to have, um, a, you know, a good pair of, and probably a little bit smaller curved scissors, would that cut very good all the way to the point to do those intricate pattern lines so that those mm. transitions are really smooth. Uh, so yeah, you, you have to have at least a couple of pairs that will have a nice curve to them and, um, have a really clean cut all the way through to the tip and, I, yeah. and typically a little bit smaller. So. Yeah. I, uh, I'm like you, I, I tend to trim in that manner and then I'll have my, my most expensive pair, which I only use for my dogs. Yeah. or show dogs and they would be my finishing you know just to put that beautiful cardboard yes. cut out finish on the dogs at the, at the end yep can you get the scissor of the month club in the uk Is yeah we do uh, ship internationally it doesn't affect the club cost for you. The thing is, is that we just have no control over custom charges yeah. um, that are associated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can always order Foxy Roxy supply company stuff, regular retail. And um, I have a line of scissors that I've developed over the course of a few years. And um, they're all available uh, on, you know, for regular retail as well without mm-hmm. being a subscriber. Because, you know, to be quite honest, like not everyone loves subscriptions. They like to pick and get what they want and not just be infinitely signed up. And that's, you know, teaches us. I love a subscription box. I'm like, sign me up to every subscription box, but also I'm a scissor whore. So you know, <laughs> I was right up my street. <laughs> Boasting time. You've got quite a collection of rosettes. I know that and trophies, but what's your most memorable, proudest moments? So um, there's actually, it's, it, there's not one single grooming competition that comes into mind because I, Honestly, like it doesn't, it doesn't register the same for me. That means that like one judge or maybe three judges liked your work and that dog that day. And it's actually just not that Im- impressive to me. I hate to short, short change it like that, but it's not. Um, we do an industry awards here, Barkley honors. And, um, I have been nominated for over 20 Barkley Honors nominations. I I've seen your haul, babe. I saw, there was a picture and it was just like back, 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 back to back <laughs> Barkley Honors. <laughs> yeah, and I've won four times. Um, I was 
and the bet my favorite wins was um I won up and coming seminar speaker of the year two years ago and I won seminar speaker of the year last year. Um and to me that means that I showed up and showed out for the industry, for individuals in the industry, for events in the industry, time and time and time again to to really show them how much I care and how involved I am and how committed I am. And I just, to me, Barkley honors is a way of like honoring your whole year. And I could have like, maybe not the best trophy year and Barkley honors just always makes me happy again because it it lets me know that the industry sees all the work that I'm putting in. And so so that's votes then. So it's like, um, it's like most interested people, people have to sign in check a box to say you're the one. Yeah. yeah. There's, it's a two voting part. So you have to actually get onto the ballot from just people suggesting you. And then, um, and then they finalize a ballot and then that goes out. So yes, it's votes. The only people that can vote are people that attend Barkley um, events. So they're mm-hmm. on the email list. So it's obviously not the whole industry, but over here you have to realize that we only have 14 or 15 groom team sanctioned trade shows every year and Barkley is responsible for 10 of them. So they basically like they, they are the industry. They are um, a big chunk of what we show up for. And so, uh, yeah, definitely. I love, I love when Barkley honors come around. (laughs) But that's obviously a testament to your speaking abilities and how, what people have been able to take away from, you know, your seminars and conferences, the fact that they, you know, rate you so highly, that's so lovely. And obviously the energy you bring to it is always positive, happy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's fun learning, isn't it? Yeah, it really, yeah, it really is. I, I, you know, it's sometimes I, if anything, I kind of second guess myself and I think, you know, am I a better teacher and entrepreneur than I am a groomer? I don't know. Maybe that's just me being hard on myself, but you've got your fingers in a few pies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so 2020 and the start of 2021 has been a bit of a rotter, hasn't it, with the pandemic? It's put a dampener on many a plans, including Blake's retro trim. <laughs> so what's your plan, goals and ambitions for the rest of 21 and 2022? Um, so the problem with the 2020 pandemic that really hit me hard was I had been working and kind of climbing and it was all working out great and I was supposed to come to the UK and teach in five different countries over there. And it was all planned and everything was ready to go. And we announced it late February mm. <laughs> and then March, it all gets pulled away from me. And that, that was probably one of the hardest, like that actually made me a little depressed. I felt really sad about losing yeah. the opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was probably the hardest on me in terms of the coming years uh, you know, or the rest of this year and, and into the next year, uh, just like, uh, finding how I am going to stay, um, involved in the industry without becoming a judge. <laughs> Cause I don't want to be a judge. <laughs> so, um, I have a few plans, um, because you want to, you want to keep competing. Um, for a while, I'm going to keep competing. I mean, I'm not going to give it up altogether, but I have a few other plans. I'll probably pull from any groom team sanctioned classes and just do the stuff that is really fun for me. So like jackpot and dual competitions and team mm-hmm. competitions and, um, and freestyle, because there's just a lot of politics around groom team points. And, um, I don't know, 
I it's a lot like, of work as well, isn't it? I know how much work Green Team England members over here put in to, to get their placement. Gosh, they have to work hard. You know, they do, and, and, and I respect it. And, you know, it's definitely something that I thought I wanted. But you remember when I told you guys I, I love to manifest? And I feel like every competitive groomer that gets up to open level is doing it because, you know, they, they want to get to groom team and maybe, you know, they want to teach. And what is groom team? It's the top 10 competitors in the country. And, um, and to be quite honest, I never manifested myself onto groom team, but I manifested myself into the top 10 groomers picked for a television show. And sometimes the universe gives you something in a way that you didn't expect it. And I feel like, I need to think of it that way. I still made top 10 in some way. I was in the top 10 groomers in this country. And, and so like, I don't need that validation from groom team anymore. And I am way more inspired by people who make money and do good business um, Mm -hmm. more than someone who can shape the perfect Bichon. But um, it just, to me, I, I respect the people who set themselves up for lifelong success, not are grooming into their retirement. So like, that's those are things that I weigh a lot more now. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'll probably keep competing because I enjoy it. I'm a competitor and I I enjoy it, but um, I'd like to find a a little special Blake niche uh, job for me uh, to stay present without judging. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this sounds really similar to what Gabriel was telling me about, you know, with our job, you know, we need our hands and, you know, it's a, it's a hard job to, to take you into retirement, isn't it? I mean, it's it's hard on our bodies and everything. So, yeah, you've got to try and think of that thing. Think of that thing that's going to carry you um, mm. and, and, you know, and help prop you up and make right. and make you a living outside of, outside of just grooming. I mean, yes, of course you can groom into retirement. But it's, you know, this isn't an easy job. No, no, I agree. Work smart, not hard. So, Mm, yeah, 100%. So I don't know what's sliding into your DMs, Blake, but with those moves that I've seen you bust out and know you used to be a bloody gymnast, (laughs) guaranteed it doesn't resemble mine, which is just filled with dog questions. So I thought it'd be really great to try and answer some of these on the podcast. So how do you feel about hashing out a couple of dog dilemmas with me? Okay, let's do it. Okay, so my first one is from Kaylee. She says, hi, guys, I've got a question for Pod on the Dog. I'm currently training to be a dog groomer, but my dream is to compete at Crufts and start showing my dogs. Have you got any tips on how to get down this route? Many thanks from Kaylee. Now, I thought this would be quite a good one because I know that you've done some showing as well. You showed a Bichon quite a lot, didn't you? Yeah, I, um, I showed a Bichon. I showed an English Cocker. I've shown a few standards. Um, I finished a mini, uh, all the other dogs I just pointed around to learn and then, you know, was done with it. It was, wasn't, you know, breeding is not an important aspect to my professional career. So finishing dogs to breed them isn't a, 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 a necessity for me. Uh, mm-hmm. but I do like to have really nice dogs. So, um, how I got started was I found a mentor with, you know, in the grooming community first, because that was always going to be the most important thing to me. Mm. And then I took their advice on people that they said were reputable dogs that they said, because they had more knowledge than me. So I had to trust in someone first, but once I had the dog, um, and maybe, maybe this isn't the best answer for everyone because I am outgoing and I am 
confident. Um, but I say just, just jump in because, mm-hmm. you know, nothing is ever as scary as it seems. <laughs> it seems like, oh, I'm going to walk into this dog show and I'm going to trip and I'm going to go in a circle the wrong way and everyone's going to laugh at me <laughs> and tell me my, I'm in the wrong breed. None of that happens. If you run in the wrong direction, they say, here, sweetheart, start over and go the other way. It's, <laughs> not, a, it's not a big deal. Um, so it, are you going to make mistakes? Absolutely. Yeah. Is it a big deal? No. Um, you're going to learn and that's the only way to learn. So just get in there. I remember the first time I showed up at a dog show by myself. Um, I felt instantly out of place because I didn't have a coat and I didn't have a tie. I was just wearing a button up and a, a slacks and like everyone else seemed more dressed up for, than me. So I already felt self-conscious. You stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Right. I was already self-conscious. And then I go to my breed. I had an English cocker and there were no English cockers. I had to show by myself. And then I had to go into the groups and like, I, I was like, what, what are groups? Like, I didn't, you know, <laughs> <T-shirt>. so, <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was very overwhelming. And I'm sure there are people that were like, mm-hmm. that guy's new or whatever. And, um, it was fine. It, you know, he grow that dog, uh, pointed plenty. He got majors. His, he had a wonky tooth, so we just never finished him. Yeah. I mean, that uh, you'll probably find, I don't know if you find it in America as over in the UK. Yes, you will get some people at dog shows that tend to keep themselves to themselves a little bit. But we also have lots of people that will come over to you if you look like a novice and come and give you a hand. Or see if you can make a friend, like say in the grooming industry or something like that before. And um, I, I mean, I've had when I first started show my miniature poodles, there was a lady called Liz in the UK, Liz Holmes-Leak. Shout out to her. She's absolutely amazing. She took me under her wing at Ringcraft class because you can go to <laughs> classes where you train your puppy and you meet, I mean, right, the, right. during the week. You have yeah. a cup of tea and um, and you just sort of practice with your dogs. They'll lay out the, the it's normally in like a church hall or something over here. Yeah, yeah, lay we out do all the yeah, and you can meet some really helpful, really great people there, especially if they've got the same breed as you. And she totally. was so lovely. She taught me how to band my dog's hair. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I first started showing Doberman. So that was my first angle. So it's sort of new, but it was totally different. You had... With Dobermans, you had a totally different type of chain and the different way that you stacked them and you baited Dobermans and then how you stood them was slightly different with the chain over their shoulders and everything was like, and then going to, you know, showing a dog on a table was just, you know, going into a completely (laughs) new, I was like, what, what's going on? (laughs) And then going into a completely new breed and also a bit like what you were saying about when you first started doing your poodle with a spray up when you were in uh, entry level. You yeah. know, you don't want to go in there with a with a dog that looks like it's been trimmed with a knife and fork, do you? You know, <laughs> you know stand up like a sore thumb. But there's so many people that will help you for sure. Yeah, you it's- just got to make that leap. Um, and, and, and then you'll start learning so quickly from physically mm. doing it that you'll, you'll get more comfortable naturally. Now, my second dilemma is from S. Marshall. He says, no matter how many people we introduce our puppy to, she doesn't like people. Any tips to make her more sociable? Just want to put a caveat in here that neither me nor Blake are dog trainers or behavioral experts, but we have lived a life around dogs and we are pet professionals. So we're just going to answer this as best to our knowledge. Take with it what you will. I would say with this one, is not to force the situation because you can make that puppy much worse by pushing the point, trying to make that 
puppies sociable. Let them go up to people in her own time as she feels more comfortable. Otherwise, you might have the opposite effect on on the puppy. And um, I would actually, I would, I would actually completely agree with that. I normally get puppies a little bit younger. I recently took in a five month old mini, and just from living in a big poodle farm and mm. all that crazy energy, they're a little wackadoo when you pull them into a pet pet environment. And, um, you know, I have a, a boyfriend who is, you know, he's a groomer too, but he has, you know, mixed breeds and he doesn't compete or anything like that. So, yeah. um, he didn't, he doesn't know all the ins and outs. And when we got the puppy, I actually specifically told him to just 100% ignore the puppy, let the puppy come to you. Mm-hmm. Like let the puppy decide that it wants your attention and that it likes you. And it likes, like, don't put yourself on that dog let it grow into you. And so I mm. completely agree. Yeah. The, what I will add to it is, um, a good way to, uh, if you know, what makes the dog happy and what makes, you know, what, you know, what treat they like, what toy they like, you can stage, um, the interaction, you know, don't bring the dog in yet, leave the dog in your car, walk in to meet the stranger, say, Hey, when you, when my dog comes in, don't make eye contact with it. Don't talk to it here's this treat. Just let your, the treat sit by your arm, you know, sit by your side. Mm. And if it comes up to you to get the treat, great. If it doesn't great, like it doesn't matter, but like, like you said, don't push the point. But if you are able to take two minutes away from your dog and go in and say, Hey, don't, don't look my, I have a dog that piddles a little when she gets excited. So I still Mm. do that. I'm like, Hey, when we get in there, don't squeal over her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, and so, yeah, you just, that's, that's how I handle it. And that's how you could probably work. Um, yeah, that's some a great advice. Down. Yeah. In this episode's brief focus, we're talking all things Labrador retriever. You may think that the breed originated in Labrador in Canada, but it's actually originated from Newfoundland, where small dogs were bred with Newfoundlands to create a breed called the St. John's Water Dog or the Lesser Newfoundland. These were a fisherman's friend who dived into the icy waters to retrieve fish that had fallen off the deck and just to help to pull in the nets. Now, the Labrador is an excellent swimmer. They've got a really strong muscular body. They've got a rudder-like tail, webbed feet, and an oily waterproof coat. So living with many a Labrador, Blake, which I know you have, I remember you telling me about in Pennsylvania, do you find them a magnet for water? Are they inherently water babies? They are such water babies. It's great. My... You know, the lab that I have is, you know, going on 10 years old and she slowed down a lot, you know, from day to day walks and, you know, Mm. getting up for food and those things. She slowed down. But Mm. if she sees a pool, she's a puppy again. She's like bouncing off the wall and she just loves it. It brings out her youth. Um, And I mean, we know that older people, um, heavier people, they do aerobics in the water because it's easier yeah. on their joints. It makes a, mm-hmm. a kind of a weightless thing. So I actually think that's probably another reason why she can enjoy it so much mm-hmm. into her older age because it's easier on the joints. You know, it's not yeah. to go get the ball. She's yeah. just swimming around and she loves it. Water, they're water dogs through and through. Do you have hydrotherapy over there? We, it's quite a big thing here is um, rehabilitation through water with dogs. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely available. I can't say that it's super common comparatively. I don't know, but it's definitely available. Now, what they like to live with, obviously, you've had many a Labrador. Would you recommend them as a family pet? They're super intelligent, aren't they? 
They really are. Um, I, the, for a long time, I would say probably not because people just assume that they're an everyday family dog, but it, it, it just depends. Like I have seen puppies raised by like 70 year old rickety old couples and the dog, <laughs> the dog walks all slow because it knows that it, it's going to pull over its owner. So they're so smart that, you know, they really can dial it down and be gentle with babies and, you know, gentle with elderly. And they kind of pick up on that, um, which I didn't really realize. Cause I was always, you know, we were a young rowdy family. So all of our dogs were rowdy and, you know, uh, you know, didn't know their own weight, didn't know their own strength, but yeah, labs are really smart. So I think that they really can adapt um, if you train them, the reason why I switched over to poodles is because I genuinely feel like you don't have to train them. They kind of just get it because they pay attention to you. So you kind of have to put in the work with a lab. Um, I don't think you have to put in the work as much with a poodle. Um, so mm. it is a little bit easier, but obviously a lot more grooming. So, <laughs> yeah, I, think, I do think my poodles look up to me all the time and they're, you know, checking mom, is this good? Is that, is that Okay. So the Labrador first crossed the waters to the UK in the early 1800s and was admired by the Earl of Melmesbury. Now, the Duke and Earl of Melmesbury started working these dogs in shooting sports and breeding them, and they called them their Labrador dogs. So in 1903, they were first recognised by the British Kennel Club. We're at the end of episode nine, and we're going to round things off with a really quick fire round. Ask everybody these questions, Blake, so I want honest answers and no bull. Okay, are you okay. ready? Yes. <laughs> Your dog food of choice. My go-to staple dog food would be called Victor's, and I tend to stick to uh, fish-based formulas. Your favorite place to walk. My favorite place to walk, I live in San Diego. I've lived up and down California, and San Diego is by far my favorite place I've ever lived. And I could have a really good day, or I could actually have a really bad day. And I find that I want to go to the beach and walk out to the end of the pier and look into the ocean and listen to the ocean and just kind of... And it's just... Yeah, kind of meditate. It, it yeah. helps me get back if I'm feeling sad, and it helps me just like really be great you know gracious and, and and see all the gratitude when i'm in a good mood so um it works for me both ways i really love just to walk out to the end of the pier and look into that 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 horizontal line where this the mm. sky meets the ocean and uh, kind of just get rezoned number of dogs under your roof right now i currently own four but there are seven under the roof <laughs> <laughs> if you were a dog what dog breed would you be I would love to say a poodle, because obviously, but I would probably be a corgi. I'd be, like this, <laughs> I'd be like this thick little thing with his little tiny little feet and a cute face and a shake his butt around. <laughs> Your favorite holiday destination? I went to Cabo last year by myself, and that was a really empowering vacation for me. And I think it was the solitude. Um, so I think that everyone should try to vacation once by themselves and see yeah. what you, you find in yourself. Yeah, that's interesting. And last one, your worst nightmare dog breed to own. Any Nordic-coated breed, Huskies, uh, Norwegian, Elkhounds, Keystone, like anything like that, even a Pomeranian, like I... I just don't love that coat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me, Blake. And thank you for all of you guys for listening. We would be delighted if you gave us both a follow on Instagram. 
Blake can be found at Blake Hernandez and I'm Rosie Harcastle. Thank you again for listening and don't forget to rate, share and subscribe to Pod on the Dog. And also keep sending in your doggy dilemmas. Much love!